The recent rash of creepy clown sightings is hurting Ronald McDonald's marketability. Creepy clown sightings like these are proving to be a threat to Ronald's image. The company deciding to sideline their cheerful mascot, saying in a statement, McDonald's and franchisees in the local markets are mindful of the current climate around clown sightings in the communities and as such are being thoughtful in respect to Ronald McDonald's participation in community events for the time being. Fear makes us really stupid. What? What's your biggest fear and why? You're listening to Rome Schooled. We just got back from our first trip abroad to Wales, the land of ancient castles and a place where we found that the brave people, when they go swimming, they keep an eye open for jellyfish, and when they see the jellyfish, they grab them by the top and throw them out of their way, for real. People deal with their fears in every kind of way. Some of them grab it and deal with it right away, and others stay out of the water. We were in Wales to talk to people about ideas in general, and fear is the first one that we tackle here, in our own way, and our childlike questions with not-so-simple answers. Hang on. There was a room in my mum's house I was really scared of. We could hear, like, pages turning and she wasn't there because my mum used to mark all the time in our own bedroom. So it was, like, this fear of, like... I remember it, like, running through the corridor, like, my back arched because, like, just in case something grabbed. I was like, oh, try and get my whole body away. I was scared of that. (laughs) What was the last thing you were afraid of that actually came true? Um, I was dancing next to a really beautiful boy and because I was fearful of not coming across in a way I would want to, that fear manifested in my head. Well, obviously, he didn't talk to me. So what scares you and why? And what happens when you go there? Poor wizards who could do magic and they were begging you to help them and they would drag you into bushes that would eat you up. Sounds really scary. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. My name is Henry Hüppönen, and I wrote a book about fear. Why are we afraid of the dark? Is it just because instincts, where when we step away from the fire into the shadows, that's where beasts are? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, we can talk about what monsters are, but, <laughs> but the theory is definitely right. Uh, I, I think the prevailing theory currently is that, that darkness used to be a very dangerous time for human beings because some of the predators were moving at that time and we couldn't see them. You may already know that you've got a system that's fueled by fear that's working all the time. The system of survival works that way. It doesn't ask, does this fear make any sense to you? You cannot turn it off. So wherever we go, we assess the situation to be safe, dangerous, or life-threatening. You mean we're constantly doing this? Yes, we're constantly doing it, but unconsciously. Uh And we are doing this evaluation, and based on this evaluation, we change our behavior. One of the first aspects of the system that we learn about is the fight or flight. Mobilization or immobilization. Mm -hmm. Basically the program for survival. Your book, Why We Fear, gets really into the weeds in terms of why the system kicks in. What what happens to us when the fear 
kicks in. There are many variations, but most of the time, fear makes us really stupid. <laughs> okay, and and that actually happens on many levels. That that happens in schools all the time. For example, the test system uh, might not be right for our schools. So some some of the people are so anxious of the tests. They well, fear and anxiety are uh, psychologists think they are a different thing, but but if you go to physiology, it's pretty much the same thing. The amygdalas get lit up and our central nervous system starts to prepare uh, some action for that threatening situation. But we don't need our cognitive abilities when we are afraid of something. If there's a stressor there, if like a big animal attacks you, uh -huh. you don't need to figure anything out. You just need to get the hell out of there. The limbic system must overdrive. So it, it reacts immediately. And Usually what it does, and th this is how the reaction works, uh, deep in the limbic system of our brains there are amygdalas and all the fear associations overdrives and takes control of the situation and that actually releases a lot of cortisol in our blood flow and we need that take some glucose from our liver to use in our big muscles wow. to do that fighting or flighting. There are many different hormones at play, but the, but the simplest way of saying it is that, that we have adrenaline to open up the blood veins and also to get oxygen-rich blood flow into big muscles. But not the brain. Not the brain. We, we don't need it in our brain. so nervous of being on stage many people have this that 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 they have an anxiety of for example performing uh, before a live audience a big fear of mine is speaking in front of people groups of people my fear is of being seen for who i am because i'm worried that i'd be judged so maybe i have a fear of being judged i'm not really good at anything at all i think it's because everybody's watching and if i do something wrong, it, I don't really know. Mathematically in your head, it's kind of, you've got so many chances to fail because there's so many people in the room. And the more people, the greater the chance. And then my follow-up question for that is, why are people afraid of being made fun of? What's the difference between being very nervous and being scared? Uh, psychologists think that they are a different thing. But, so basically the fear is when the subject that you're afraid of is present. Mm -hmm. And anxiety is that you're thinking about it. For example, if you see a shark and you're swimming, that's fear. But if you're thinking about the shark on shore... That's anxiety. That, that's anxiety. But basically, amygdalas are lit up and central nervous system is on higher gear. And it most of the time makes us more stupid. Uh, and our actions are not that critical or, <laughs> or not that intelligent. Yeah. And, and, and can this sustain? Do we stay, can we stay stupid if there's a, a back-lying set of anxieties in, in, our, in our mind about things? Well, I, I think so. I think this is something that we're witnessing at the world currently. Politicians know this very well. I mean, Richard Nixon started uh, the war on drugs in the 60s because he understood that he needs some fear to play with, to get people's eye away from Vietnam. This is what it is usually in politics, that, that you 
you play with these fears and then you say that I can fix it. So basically people need to do something about the fear to get away from it. So they vote for you. Right. But obviously you don't have any answer to that particular fear since you made it up yourself. Is there more fear right now or is it just a political slash media climate that's happening? That's a hard one to answer. Is that we would need to have some sort of baseline to uh. <laughs> look into it. But the thing is that media also plays with fears because it gets our attention. Mm -hmm. That's a huge problem because our brain really can't distinct that if some fear is based on facts and if it's close or if it's far, far away. For example, you can easily read on a newspaper that there's a bus accident that happened in Australia or somewhere far, far away from where you live. Right. So, so what, what do you do with that information? Yeah. Nothing. But what, what is the underlining thing there is that, that it's dangerous. And it's happening. It's happening. And it's people like you. We're probably living the safest time of humankind. So, I mean, think about all the drugs that we can use to heal ourselves and think about how unlikely, especially in, in Western countries and, and industrialized countries, it is to get killed, actually. Right. And still, we, we have these unbelievable and unbearable fears all the time. So, I think that we're in constant anxiety. So, we're constantly stressed because there is a lot of cortisol in our blood flow all the time. And people are uh, burning out all the time because we need more metabolic output when we are threatened. And I think this is causing a lot of problems. If we feed the system with cortisol and adrenaline all the time, there's a higher uh, blood pressure, more inflammation in the body. Your mental health isn't where it should be. I get a sore neck. <laughs> My neck is yeah. sore. If I, if I yeah. find myself nervous or anxious yeah. about something, whether it's rational or yeah. not, a couple of hours into whatever it is, yeah. I'll notice that I'm just stiff as hell. It's very interesting. I mean, there are deep muscle tissues. We contract them when we are afraid. So we're just sort of flexing all the time. Yeah, because when we hear a loud voice, uh, we contract those deep muscles, uh, psoas muscles, to make the stomach area more safe, because that, that's one of the areas that we need to protect from cuts or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it makes sense. When you see yeah. an animal and it's aware of your presence, it has a different stance and posture. Yes. And it It may go on grooming itself or eating or whatever the animal yeah. is doing, but it also is sort of closing itself off, hunches its back. Yeah, and what animals do after stressing situation is that they shake huh. and then they go on. The people stopped shaking that anxiety away, that stressful situation. Interesting. We're not as good at shaking it off. No, no. Is that so weird and complicated? Or? Yeah, you're diagnosed with some sort of mental uh, problem if, if you keep shaking. I stop everything like animal mode. I do not shiver. Like there is in movies, people shiver when they're scared. I don't get that. Why would you shiver? Um, how, why am I afraid of clowns? Is this your question or is my, not? my question? This is my question. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they make fun of me for this, actually. The girls do. Yeah. So many people are afraid of clowns. But probably the answer for that is that uh, there's an association in some part of your life uh, being afraid 
and probably uh, being exposed to clowns. If you felt that it was dangerous, uh, uncomfortable situation, it's very likely that, that that association is very safe deep down in that limbic system in the amygdalas. Daniela Schiller, who's a theory, memory researcher, she found a way to actually open up these associations without uh, using any drugs. There's a window of opportunity to change memories. Each time you retrieve a memory, it's vulnerable in your brain. And as long as you don't put it back in, it's unstable and it's actually constantly changing. And this here is the real discovery. Memories, once we access them, they change. So if you think you remember the original event, you're not. You just remember your last retrieval of it. So if memories change when we access them, all I have to do is access the fear memory and then link it with something nice. And next time it's not going to feel the same. It's not going to be scary anymore. And the thing is that every time we get the fear response and, and we are in a situation where fear memory might evolve, we have six hours of time to do that same thing again without anything bad happening. So if a clown attacks me, if I had gone back to the first yes, time yes. First, and a clown were to do something horrible to me in an alleyway, and I would have six hours in order to find another friendly clown yes. to undo the bad yes. work. Yes, yes, okay. and actually it works. And she, she has done it many times, not with clowns, <laughs> but, but in... <laughs> Why tests. not with clowns? <laughs> yeah, so, but, but that's the thing. And I, I think this is very important uh, with parents with kids. It's not like if they freeze on stage, like push them there. I mean, that could be even more horrifying. But put the stress down, I mean, ease the re stress and, and then try to do something. This is Daniel Something again soon. Something again soon, within the six hours uh, window of reconsolidation. And that's a useful thing to know. Yeah. Keep trying without, uh, like you said, throwing the kid in the river, for example, but to keep trying soon after that initial fear response to try to... Because our first response is to say, okay, let's not do that until next year. Yeah. With kids. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's how the system works. If you are in danger, the system says never go there. Right. But the system isn't that intelligent. It doesn't think, well, how likely... Uh, is that I'm going to get killed by really dangerous clowns. <laughs> we don't calculate that that well. So it induces that fear whenever we're approaching that kind of threatening saturation. Remember the Alamo. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. But why remember a destructive love affair? Here at Lacuna, we have perfected a safe, effective technique for the focused erasure of troubling memories. Our patented non-surgical procedure will rid you of painful memories and allow you a new and lasting peace of mind you never imagined possible. Don't forget, with Lacuna, you can forget. Hi, my name is Eric Geyer and I'm a senior scientist at Innovative Surface Technologies and I did my thesis research in the area of cellular mechanisms of learning and memory. Cellular mechanisms, what's going on with neurons and, and the synapses between them? Is that what you mean by cellular mechanisms? Yes, so how the cells respond to meaningful activity in the brain, how they represent the world outside internally and record information permanently. And there are believed to be physical changes that occur at synapses, kind of like, you know, 
a physical change that occurs in a hard drive to record memory. And this is, in neuroscience, is termed the n-gram. N-gram. E-N-G-R-A-M. N-gram. So the n-gram, what happens when I think of a thing or I, I think of a picture or I see something for the first time, there's actually a physical change going as I record this into my brain, into the part of my brain that is my hard drive? Sort of. The thought is when you learn something new, when you form a memory or acquire a new behavior, there's physical changes happening in the synapses in your brain. And those physical changes are the engram. Huh. And what do they look like? What are they? Well, a synapse can change its strength. So the synapse is where you have electrochemical communication. So presynaptically, a neurotransmitter is released. This is a chemical substance that was soluble in the, the soup that the neurons are, are living in. It'll cross this very narrow gap and bind to receptors, kind of like a key fitting into a lock on the postsynaptic side of the synapse. And when it binds to these receptors, channels open up. These are proteins in the membrane that have pores that allow very specific salts, sodium, chloride, calcium, these are ionized salts that carry an electric charge to cross through the membrane. And if there's enough of this activity happening, the postsynaptic neuron will respond with an action potential. And that's kind of like a little pop or a very quick um, electrical spike where all the sodium channels in its membrane just open up simultaneously. Wow. And then this causes, in turn, that neuron to release its neurotransmitters on the next ones in the chain. This is the, the theory called long-term potentiation. When a neuron is activated by two inputs uh, simultaneously that are strong, those two synapses kind of turn up the volume. They get more of these postsynaptic uh, receptors in their membrane, they get more sensitive to the neurotransmitter, and those two inputs are linked. And that's kind of the engram of the memory. So. A saying to a nice mnemonic is neurons that fire together, wire together. <laughs> is that what a memory is? Or is that a little tiny part of a memory? This is thought to be what a memory is. This is what memory is. Right. These are the words that are blowing my mind. And they figured it out with animals. They trained animals to feel mild discomfort, probably more discomfort than I want the little mice or the little slugs to feel. But they train the animals to associate a bad fear memory, like electric shock on their little feet, with a stimulus, like a certain cage, or a fern. So whenever they would show the animal the fern, it would cower and show fear response. But then, amazingly, they could train that animal to associate that memory with good stuff. Whatever kinds of things that a snail or a slug finds delectable. And after running these studies for long enough, they found the switch and the engram. They could turn the fear response on or off, at least for these specific animals with these specific stimuli. It's a start. Now, coming at it from a totally different side, fear can be sort of funny sometimes. And if you're a fan of horror films, you know that fear and humor go together in this sort of strange bedfellow kind of way. So we got a hold of one of my favorite film directors, James Westby, and asked him about this super creepy movie he made that is super funny also, called Rid of Me. What kind of a, what kind of a movie is that film anyway? I think it probably, I think it falls into the category of cringe comedy, which I, I, 
I love hearing it described as a domestic horror film, or anybody who uses the word horror, because I think it depends on how you look at it. Um, I think cringe comedy in real life, to me, is is horrifying, usually. I mean, if it's, you know, somebody making a fool of themselves in public, um, you know, oftentimes at the time, it's horrifying to me, and I, I want to get away from that situation. Uh, it's not funny at all, it's just awful but it becomes like a psychological horror. And subjectively, that can be the most horrifying thing in the world. For me, when I'm in public and somebody gives me a compliment, that's one of my most feared moments, uh, especially if it's in front of other people. Uh, and, but at the same time, I can feel my face kind of distorting and you know, not knowing how to respond, uh, even to the simplest compliment sometimes, but uh, it becomes funny by virtue of my thinking about what my face might be doing and then people making fun of me after, or whatever, or just my response to it. How come horror movies, and how come being scared is such a funny thing? Well, I guess it's the reaction on your face. It's, uh, you know, a communal thing with other folks in the theater, or sitting next to you as you watch it on your device. You mean it's like a bonding experience between the audience? They're together, and they're, they hear each other breathing and gasping, and it, it sort of elevates them to be more connected with each other? I would think so, wouldn't you? I mean, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. I mean, in the 70s, horror films were something else. But in a contemporary horror film, if you go to see one in the theater, you know, the big scares in it are always followed by laughter. Almost always. There's a horror story in the movie, and there's a comedy story in the movie, but there's this other side story in the movie about a bigger picture fear. Because Rid of Me is a period piece. In its own way, it deals with outsiders. The kind of outsiders that have been regarded with fear ever since September 11th, 2001. The movie doesn't on its face set out to change any views about xenophobia or societal fear. But this aspect of it is, for me, one of the scariest and most effective parts of the movie. The 9-11 stuff, the you know small town, was kind of based on our local Lake Oswego, or at least some folks that I had visited at parties and things who lived out there. Uh, and just based on things I'd overheard. Maris met a family today. Oh. Somebody from the neighborhood, didn't you, honey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like them a lot. They're really nice. They invited Mitch and me over for dinner sometime. Wonderful. What's their names? We know everybody. Um, Linda and Masood. Oh, what? <sighs> we should have warned you about the Maris. Warned her? What are you talking about? Well, this Masood guy, I mean, he's got, like, terrorist connections or something. A couple weeks after 9-11, FBI and SWAT stormed his house. They couldn't prove anything. But I'll tell you something, though. Ever since he got released, he stopped wearing that tablecloth on his head. Oh. <laughs> Dale, you're absolutely awful. You're either with us or you're against us. <laughs> That's not funny. That's good. <laughs> this terrorism stuff is scary, you know? You never know who's around. That's true. That's true. Huh. Is that going to run wild? So there you have fear breeding fear, and the result is, as Henry predicted, stupidity. Stupid jokes being made at the expense of a group that is being feared. And remember, this is all within the scope of a movie, a very funny-ass movie. And if you didn't notice the little clip that we played earlier about the memory eradication service, well, that's obviously not a real thing, although I wish it were, but rather that's a deleted scene from Charlie Kaufman's Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. We've looked briefly at fear 
and memory and how somehow wrapped around it is laughter. But now it's time to leave you. So, are you wondering what to do with all this information about fears? I got nothing. Henry says that a lot of people find success in breathing. And there's more in his book called Why We Fear. Henry Hipponen, that's H-Y-P-P-O with two dots over it, N-E-N. Others try hypnotists. But this isn't a show about how to solve your fears, unfortunately. If we could do that in a free podcast, we would make a lot of therapists and other professionals very unhappy. But we're glad that you joined us on this brief journey into where our fears come from and why they do what they do to us. Rome School is a nonprofit. Our next big project involves partnering with the Portland newspaper, The Willamette Week, and making 130 one-minute films to document all of the nonprofits that are taking part in something called the Give Guide. If you want to know more about that, visit our site, where you also will find a convenient donate button. The new Rome School badges are here, and there's information about how to get one of those so that you, whether you are 8 years old or 80 years old, can become a junior park ranger for Rome School. And there's also a beautiful slideshow to go along with every episode. So please visit romeschooled.com. The show is written and produced by me with a lot of moral support and design from Lydia Ritchie. The music is made by Wonderly. That's me and Ben Landsberg. For our next episode, we went in-depth. Really interesting people, two of whom were given the message from the President of the United States that they should resign. One was from Jimmy Carter and one was from Donald Trump. To hear that story, listen to our next episode. And in the meantime, we want to extend a special thanks to the Dew Lectures in Wales, who paid for a portion of our trip in exchange for us attending their incredible conference that takes place. If you want to be really inspired, check out thedewlectures.com and see what they've got going on. It's pretty amazing. Stay curious and keep roaming. Thanks for listening to Rome School. Rome School.